Rinkwide Vancouver. On a night, the Vancouver Canucks paid tribute to the greatest goaltender in franchise history. Their current starter put on a show of his own as Thatcher Demko blanks the Florida Panthers by a score of 4 to nothing. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. It's a presentation of Betway, Jeff Patterson, along with Harmon Dial of The Athletic and Canucks Convo, and a lot to get into as the lose rained down from the rafters and Roberto Luongo took his spot in the ring of honor, Harm. Uh, a lot going on before the game and a lot going on in those first two periods. A lot of good for the Vancouver Canucks as they win their fourth in a row and they close out this homestand. They've now won five of their last six hockey games. Yeah, first, just to briefly touch on the speech, I thought it was personable. I thought it was authentic. It was really classy of uh, Roberto there to, first of all, begin his speech by acknowledging just how happy he was for Canucks fans, that there's a buzz back in the city. They have a winning product. Uh, Some of the jokes that he threw in there, the Mike Gillis gave me that incredible contract, uh, thanking Torts and uh, being like, no, no, he's a good coach. Uh, And then the free the skate jersey at the end, I thought it was brilliant. And the Canucks' form on the ice matched that too, especially through the first uh, two periods. I mean, to have the bottom six really step up, that was decisive because the Panthers at the top of their lineup have been an absolute buzzsaw heading into tonight's game. The Barkov line, for example, has outscored opponents 23 to 5 at 5 on 5. So you figured going into this game that, okay, you're, you're probably just hoping that the Canucks top six can hold their own against Florida's top six, especially because on line two, the Florida Panthers have Matthew Kajak, even though he hasn't quite been having his MVP type uh, caliber season like he did last year. And so it's further down the lineup where the Canucks were really able to win that matchup. And once again, it just sort of feels like a different comfort in, in confidence level when lines three and four are out there. It's wild when you think this homestand started with that 6-5 loss to New Jersey, completely sloppy effort by the Vancouver Canucks defensively, the big comeback, and then the late breakdown, and they give up the, the winner in the final minute. Six goals against for the first time all season long. Harm, they gave up four the rest of the homestand. They've rattled off four straight victories now, two shutouts in there. Casey DeSmith blanked the Minnesota Wild, and here Thatcher Demko, 36 saves, and he's full value for the shutout. Because as much as I like the Canucks' effort on the night, and I'm not going to knock them an awful lot, but I, I think they could have done a little more in the third period to help their goaltender. They were shot 15-1 to in that final period. Now, they had built the cushion. The outcome really wasn't in doubt, although I guess uh, when you saw what Toronto did in the third period against Columbus earlier in the night, hey, maybe there was a comeback in the offing, but Thatcher Nemco closed the door and... Uh, Florida didn't have a whole lot of life. There were some chances there, but still. Would have liked to have seen the Canucks spend a little more time up ice in the third, but again, they had done enough through the first 40 minutes here to build the lead. And yeah, I mean, you talk about the bottom six, and now it's a a new look and obviously a different look with Pia Suter back in the lineup. So some good news on the injury front, and they should probably knock on wood here because uh, they are completely healthy up front, and that's not going to last the entire season. But when you have options and Rick Tockett talked after the morning skate about how difficult it was to pick Nils Amon as the guy that came out of the lineup to make room for Pia Suter because Amon's been doing a nice job on the penalty kill and Rick Tockett talked about how you know it's a good thing for the organization it's tough on the coaches to make those sorts of calls but Pia Suter didn't look like he had missed a beat I thought uh, he played he played well he did a fair bit of penalty killing I think in time we might see him return to his spot 
that he was in when he got injured, and that was centering that line with Dakota Joshua and Connor Garland, but Teddy Bluger has stepped in. That line's looked pretty good, so I don't know if you want to touch that line right now. And that leaves Pia Suter working his way back into the lineup with Kuzmenko on one side and Phil Giuseppe on the other. And as you said, I mean, to get two goals from the bottom six, Kuzmenko has scored in back-to-back games, so uh, that's becoming a, a story for the right reasons now. And then Dakota Joshua with his first of two. Uh, yeah, it was a, a really good first period for the guys a little bit lower in the lineup. Absolutely. And the benefit of being able to slot Suter on the fourth line outside of just being able to ease him in, leave that third line intact, is now Kuzmenko on the fourth line actually has some offensive skill, some some finishing to play with on that uh Line, of course, I think with Suter, we didn't see so much of the offense, but in his first game back, I think you were really just hoping to see the skating work well, uh, the smart two-way reads, and especially in the first period, I thought he looked really sharp. There was a nice transition pass he made that led to an offensive zone shift when the Panthers had started the game with a couple of offensive zone pushes against uh, both the Miller and Pedersen lines. Uh, He had that net front tip that went uh, just wide. He also later in that first period, had a good sequence as a first man in on the four check, pinned Sam Bennett there. Bennett wasn't able to move the puck and then made a quick line change, was sharp there. And then, I mean, the work Garland did on the wall to get Kuzmenko the puck, and it was a different feeling when Kuzmenko got the puck there because I think in previous games, as he's been working through this slump, it felt like it didn't matter what part of the ice Kuzmenko had the puck. You just weren't convinced that he was going to bury it. But with the confidence that he had picked up after scoring the previous game, he was walking straight in. He just had a, I don't know, a look. I think Ray Ferraro sort of mentioned it as well, that you just felt like felt like he was going to bury that one. And that's exactly what he did. And of course, crediting Garland for his hard work with by straight pointing to him. Um, and then even that energy translating through the rest of the night. I feel like since he got that first power play goal the, uh, the other game, it's helped him skate faster, uh, work harder. Of course, the other night he also had that back back check on Stamkos. Um, later in the third period, when the, one of the Canucks' only chances where he was strong along the wall with the stick to hold onto the puck um, and generate a chance from the slot. So a good step uh, for him. And then obviously Joshua getting on the board a, a couple of times as uh, well. Yeah, and we'll talk about Joshua's second goal in a sec, but just staying in that first period, uh, I'm so with you with Kuzmenko, and we just haven't seen a guy who anticipates, who like pounced on that puck and recognized that there was space to the middle of the ice and there was no hesitation, and there's been so much hesitation and double clutching in his game and you know refusal to shoot when he's had the puck on his stick. And then once he found that open ice, I mean, he works his way away from Mikola into a scoring position, that looked more like a 39-goal scorer from last year. Like, he picked his spot and absolutely ripped it. So, you know, maybe it was a case of just getting the monkey off his back the other night with the one-timer on the power play. Whatever the case, there was just a lot to like in that sequence. And I'm with you again. Connor Garland doing a lot of good, hard work along the walls. uh, Wins way more than his share of battles and gets the assist on that one. And and Kuzmenko, as you pointed out, was uh, quick to, uh, to acknowledge all of that. And then on the second goal, you know, again, the Canucks have been incredible. Like, this is their 30th game of the season. They've opened the scoring in 20 of them. Like, just think about sort of the luxury of 
getting that cushion. Now, it doesn't mean you always start well. Like, think of the Minnesota game where it took them 14 minutes to get a, a shot on goal. Opening the scoring is sort of twofold. You need the saves until you can put a puck in the net at the other end. And even here tonight, like, I thought Thatcher Demko just flashed the right pad on Stenlin early in the hockey game, made a, a sort of vintage Roberto Luongo save. Uh, Carter Verhege had a pretty good backhand opportunity, although I think it was one nothing by that point. But, you know, the Canucks open the scoring, and then they extend that lead as well. And they have just had, as I said, I mean, it is a luxury. They don't chase many games here. They've opened the scoring in 20 of 30, and then they back this one up and, and give them a little bit of cushion. And, you know, Quinn Hughes pressures down the left side. Bluger's in there to help out, takes the puck, gets it to Joshua. Uh, would have been incredible if he had scored on the spinorama, uh, but stuck with it, got his own rebound, and, and tucked it in upstairs. So, you know, showing pretty good hands for uh, the big man there. We've talked about, like, the good work that he and Garland have done, and you know, maybe haven't been rewarded when it comes to actually putting pucks in the net. But uh, nice to see Dakota Joshua rewarded for his hard work there and then uh, got the freebie. Uh, obviously, the big gaffe from Sergei Bobrovsky that uh, didn't spell the end of the night for him, but uh, kind of signaled that maybe he, <laughs> the hook was going to come out and it did after 40 minutes. But uh, what did you make of Dakota Joshua's night overall? I thought he was really effective part of that line, which, again, they just seem to win battles all over the ice. They're smothering. It's sort of encapsulates what I think Talkit wants the Canucks identity to be, which is you play fast, you outmuscle your opponents down low. And really, you have to remember the Canucks aren't a team that, despite them leading the league in goals right now, they aren't a team that creates a ton of pretty passing plays off the rush. They don't like to get into that run and gun style, which has the benefit of. If you, if you don't want to lean into that rush offensive style, well, you're not going to give up as much off uh, the rush as well, which has helped them defensively. But if you're going to do that, then you need to find other ways to manufacture offense. And that's where I think Joshua has been such an integral part of that, as, as well as the third line as a whole, where constantly forcing turnovers, their uh, pain in the side of the other, other team's defensemen, they just rob you of time and space. And I mean, the work that Bluger did to not only disrupt the initial sort of puck but then also muscle it towards the slot that's excellent work and I don't know if Bluger's perhaps gotten enough credit for the work that he's had throughout this entire time we we know that Garland and Joshua are obviously uh, the main straws that uh, stir the drink for that third line but Bluger's played such an integral part I think and just being a smart supporting piece and, and making sure that when Suter got injured that that third line didn't see a huge drop-off outside of perhaps the finishing. Uh, the final numbers for Dakota Joshua are impressive. The two goals, uh, 15 minutes and 44 seconds of ice time, three shots on goal. So he uh, scores on two of his three. The second goal, obviously, a tap-in that just about any of us, I think, could, could score. If we were put in that position, six hits. So he's continuing to be physical. Twice as many hits as anybody else on the hockey club. Three blocked shots. And wins the only faceoff he takes. And I think the block shots, I'd have to go back and look, but pretty good chance that those happened on the penalty kill where he led all Canuck forwards in shorthanded ice time at an even three minutes. And let's just kind of go there because uh, it was going to be fascinating with Suter coming back and Nils Amon coming out of the lineup. We have seen that JT Miller's uh, penalty killing ice time and his uh, utility in that role has been diminished a little bit. So the leaders among the forward group when it came to shorthanded ice time tonight, Dakota Joshua at three minutes, Pia Suter at two minutes and 29 seconds, Teddy Bluger at 2.11, and PDG 
at just over two minutes at 2.07. So Miller and Pedersen and McKayev all had uh, under a minute apiece. Now, Miller took a penalty uh, in the third period, so maybe that uh, factored in as well. But it, it seemed like there was a clear-cut top four in the eyes of Rick Tockett when it comes to penalty killing. And remember, too, that Nils Amon led all the forwards the other night in the last game against Tampa Bay, and then he comes right out of the lineup. So I wondered if they were going to ease Pia Suter back into the lineup in any way, but uh, his usage there would suggest that he had the green light to be back in uniform and they were going to use him uh, where they saw fit. Yeah, and that penalty kill they had in the third period, I was a little bit worried because I really wanted, with it being Luongo night, of the Canucks to preserve Demko's shutout. And throughout most of, the, most of the period, you're feeling a little bit nervous because the Canucks are stuck in their end for uh, a long time. And then Miller takes that penalty and, and you're thinking, oh boy, this could be a little bit of trouble with some of the weapons that uh, the Panthers have with Kachuk, with Reinhardt, with Verhage, Barkov. That uh, PK though, I don't think they allowed a, a single shot against. They were disruptive, active sticks. Suter and Joshua, I thought, were an, an important part of why the penalty kill was uh, was successful tonight. They just didn't give up a, a whole lot. And a big difference in how the penalty kill performed was they didn't allow really any of those side-to-side passes through, through the middle of the slot where the goalie on the back door doesn't have a lot of chance to um, to recover. That's a theme that when you look at the nights where Demko plays his best, the team in front also gives him a chance by ensuring that they aren't allowing any of those backdoor plays. The the type that overall they defended really well in the Tampa game, but the first lightning goal that they scored off the tic-tac-toe uh, passing play where Demko didn't have a chance prior to this um, winning streak, that started to creep back into their game where they were surrendering more of those looks, especially shorthanded. And I thought tonight they did a much better job of uh, making sure that they didn't allow those east-west passes. Yeah, and the numbers would back you up on that one. Uh, Florida had six minutes of power play time, just three shots on goal uh, with the man advantage. So, you know, if the thumb rule is teams would like a a shot per minute of power play time, I mean, the Canucks hold Florida to just three shots on goal in six minutes of power play time, I would say that that is a, a job well done. And it sort of speaks to... I mentioned that New Jersey game, you know, that's the outlier now. And really the six goals against stands as the outlier on the season, 30 games in for the Vancouver Canucks. And Jack Hughes said a night and Jesper Bratt uh, was going that night as well. But really, when you look at the rest of the homestand harm and the two shutouts, the Canucks have done an incredible job against the stars on the other team. Like Kirill Kaprizov, I didn't think uh, did an awful lot for Minnesota Kucherov the other night comes in as the leading scorer in the National Hockey League, didn't find the score sheet. And then, you know, Sam Reinhart obviously is feeling it, uh, top 10 goal scorer and point guy coming into this league or coming into this game. West Van product coming home. I'm sure it was a big deal for him. Uh, Matthew Kachuk isn't having the same season that uh, he did uh, last year and the year before, but still I had those couple of chances between the legs. Uh, got a little too cute, I think, but maybe he would know best. Uh, maybe didn't uh, feel he had any other option. Whatever the case, the Canucks have done a really nice job of keeping the top-end talent on some of these opponents that have come through here of late in check. Yeah, and it was interesting deployment-wise that Talkit approached matching up against the Barkov line by committee. It seemed uh, Miller and Pedersen, when you look at the ice times head-to-head against Barkov, were relatively even, but you also saw... Uh, the Blue Girl line, for example, get some shifts in the, in the first couple of periods occasionally uh, against that line. Talk it seemed comfortable uh, 
sort of rolling out most of his lines against against um, Florida's best, didn't seem too insistent on playing a really hard match, which is a little bit different compared to the way that he was rolling the JT Miller line really early in the season, for example. And it was fascinating. I mean, the shots for the Barkov line, they, they got a lot of looks on net. I mean, at five on five, they were 16 to three in favor of Florida. But I think you could argue that there weren't a ton of true grade A chances. Again, there, there wasn't a lot of pre-shot movement. Sure, they generated some chances close to the net, you know, some some stuff around the slot. But again, when you have a upper echelon goaltender, those are the chances that you're okay giving up because as, as long as Demko's square to it, there's a good chance he's going to be able to bail you out, especially because in, in a lot of those situations that... Um, Let's say Verhage would uh, would create a chance, uh, or, or some of the other ch- uh, other looks Florida had. There wasn't a lot of room to elevate the puck, and and there wasn't really a, a lot of space in that shooting lane as a whole uh, to get full velocity and get a real clean look to pick your spot against Demko. So it was a bit of bend don't break uh, against that Florida top line. It was successful, and one thing that I wanted to point out just in general about uh, what impressed me about the Canucks second period in particular was they obviously go into both teams go into the first intermission. Canucks have the two goal, two goal cushion. The start of the, of the second period is oftentimes when the momentum can really shift, right? We saw in the Minnesota game, for example, Canucks were so flat in the first period, but they come roaring back at the start of the second, take control of, of that game. There would, would have been an opportunity for Florida at the start of the second. I, I really was curious to see what type of response they would have and it was interesting that up to the Canucks surrender just one shot on goal at even strength through the first eight minutes. Uh, Florida had a couple shots on the power play, but there were no dangerous breakdowns. And of course, later in the frame, the Canucks were able to pad their lead with a couple of goals. But again, just not really giving up much of anything, uh, particularly off the rush uh, in a moment that can sometimes change the the momentum of, uh, of a contest. So I thought it was really impressive. And just overall, the comfort that this team has right now defending leads feels like a night and day difference compared to last year where anytime they went up one or two goals, it wasn't even nervousness because at, at, at some points early in the season, you just expected that the right. other team was going to tie it up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I go back to the five-minute mark of the second period to, to what you were just talking there. Nikita Zadorov gets called for interference. It's a 2 nothing game, but... Look, Florida's got firepower. If they score on the power play there, they're in it. They've got some life and some momentum. I thought that was a particularly big kill for the Canucks because they got through that. Uh, It gave up two shots on goal. So two of Florida's three power play shots came on that sequence. But again, like when I go through my notes, you're right. Like they didn't ask that Trudemko to absolutely stand on his head. You know, at the end of the night, it's the 36 save shutout. I mean, that's impressive. But I I would say his best save was probably off Sasha Barkov at the side of the net uh, late in the first period. He was down. He got the pad up. It was reminiscent of Roberto Luongo, and that drew you know a hearty round of lose from the uh, the crowd that uh, was into it, obviously, from the ceremony on. So uh, I, I thought a spectacular save there, but really the rest of the way, just solid, making the saves he was supposed to. In fact, his toughest stop may have came off Noah Juleson midway through the third period there where <laughs> Juleson took that rebound and put it right back on goal, and Demko had to use the reflexes to, to make the save there. So, uh, 
yeah, I mean, Thatcher Demko seems to have regained his form after a little bit of a dip there. Uh, had been busy late in November and the, the early stages of December. It'll be interesting to see his utilization now. They've got a four-game road trip back-to-back. So you'd think there'd be a split there. And then the final game before Christmas, the home game against San Jose, that one sort of feels like it could be a, a Casey DeSmith start as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if we're you know, looking at three for Demko and two for DeSmith here the rest of the way. But uh, I'll leave that to the coaching staff. Uh, all I know is this is the third shutout of the season for Thatcher Demko. So uh, the shutouts haven't been easy for him to come by throughout his National Hockey League career, but he's got three before the Christmas break. And... You know, we go through these games and all the scoring plays, and uh, of course, uh, that leads us to Brock Besser scoring because that's what Brock Besser does just about every night. Nine goals now in his last nine games coming off the hat trick the other night. I-, I didn't think the five on three looked particularly sharp in the first minute or so, but they worked that puck around, and uh, eventually there was Besser on the doorstep post. And puck comes back to him and on the backhand, able to shovel it home. He scored so many goals in the blue paint, but just fun to watch. I mean, it's almost expected now that at some point before the night is through, Brock Besser is going to find his way out of the score sheet. Yeah, he's the king of garbage goals. At this point, (laughs) I I really think that his finishing and skills around the front of the net, how consistently he's able to get uh, open, how he uh, anticipates the, the positioning based off where he might expect the rebound to end up. And I mean, the five on three is a little bit different because they're two, they're short two men. So they just don't have enough bodies to contest the front of the net. But what's impressed me as a whole is on the season is how often Besser on the doorstep is just wide open where a goal scorer shouldn't be wide open. And <laughs> I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think that's by accident. I legitimately believe that's a skill of his. He has really underrated hockey IQ, I think. And at this point, his work, again, around the blue paint is probably more dangerous than a shot. Yeah, I mean, we think of him as a shooter that could be goaltenders from distance, and he did in the first couple of seasons, but you know, has morphed and I think now understands the game better, and, and that comes with age and experience, and, and he's applying that. And you're right, uh, finding ways to get open and playing with the guys that he's playing with, Puck is eventually going to get to him, and he's just not missing many opportunities. So his 22nd of the year, Austin Matthews scored twice in that wild Toronto comeback. So Matthews regains solo possession of top spot in NHL scoring, but Brock Besser is right there uh, keeping pace, and he's up to 22. So the Brock Besser math is eight goals now away from 30. And again, still five games to go before the Christmas break. So who knows where the total will be when they get the brief little holiday rest. We should also mention uh, Brock Besser matched the career high. He's got points now in nine straight games. Uh, has done that on two other occasions in his National Hockey League uh, career. So uh, on Saturday in Minnesota, his home state uh, where he broke into the NHL. We all remember him scoring in his NHL debut a chance for him to do something that he has never done in the National Hockey League, and that has run a point streak to 10 games. So we'll see if he can do that. And pretty good chance the way he's going, pretty good chance he's going to extend that with another goal. That just seems to be the, the way Brock Besser's season is going. Vancouver Canucks defeat the Florida Panthers by a score of 4 nothing. So a nice little clean sweep here at the tail end of the homestand 
of the two teams in the National Hockey League from the Sunshine State. We'll have a whole lot more analysis. We'll get inside the locker room. You're going to hear from Thatcher Demko. Uh, we'll hear from the head coach, Rick Tockett, as well. We've got our rink-wide Vancouver three-star selection, the staff that stands out. We'll get into some listener feedback from our social channels at Rinkwide Van. So there is still a lot ahead here. But uh, right now, it's time for our Betway, Bet of the Day, as we look at the Friday schedule in the National Hockey League. Those San Jose Sharks, who have returned from the dead after that just brutal start to the season, uh, Sharks have shown some signs of life here and scoring some goals of late as well. They take their show on the road to Mullet Arena in Arizona. It's the Sharks. It's the Coyotes. It's the big matchup you're looking for on Friday. There's some value here in the Sharks. If you think is the road team... They can get the job done. You can get them at 270 on the money line. That's our Betway bet of the day. Must be 19 years of age. And please play responsibly. The Vancouver Canucks full credit for a 4-0 victory over the Florida Panthers on Roberto Luongo night at uh, Rogers Arena. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. It's Rick White, Vancouver. It's Jeff and it's Harm. 4-0 Canucks over the Florida Panthers. You've heard from us, and we'll get some listener feedback coming up in the final segment, but uh, let's get uh, inside that locker room into the podium. We're going to hear from the head coach here, Rick Tockett. Obviously, uh, Roberto Luongo, the story. Tockett's own goaltender, Harm. Uh, Thatcher Demko became the story as well with the 36-save shutout. Uh, we've heard talk it throughout the season, just talk about uh, how important Demko is, how much he's sort of gained an appreciation for the leadership that Demko brings to the mix here. And so uh, Rick Tockett was asked about uh, Demko's night as Luongo took his place in the Ring of Honor. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good hockey team over there. I thought Demko was solid as hell. He looked big in the net. He was uh, obviously, he was, had a great game for us. How fitting is it that he gets a shot out on the night that Roberto yeah. was inducted into the Ring of Honor? Yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, that's a, that's a lot of good goaltenders in this building. I, you know, I, him taking the draw, that was kind of cool. That was kind of was fun to be a part of. Yeah, lots of good goalies in the building, no doubt about it. Uh, not a great night for Sergei Bobrovsky. Didn't uh, make it through uh, all 60 minutes, but great night for Demko. Roberto Luongo there. Uh, Kirk McLean in attendance. Uh, Corey Schneider is part of that uh uh, ceremony as well, so uh, Rick's not wrong. There were a lot of uh, good goaltenders there, uh, but Demko was the guy, so let's hear from him, Thatcher Demko, on pitching a shutout on Lou's Ring of Honor night. Yeah, I mean, it's poetic, right? It's, uh, it's almost in the air, you know? Um, just a really cool evening. He's such a, a first-class guy, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm not super close with him, but every encounter I've had, he's treated me with respect, and that's always really cool coming from someone that you, you watch growing up, so um, just a really cool cool evening and um obviously it was a good one too yeah some interesting comments there about uh doesn't know him well but uh luongo showing respect to uh thatcher demko i like the fact he said there's something in the air yeah a little magic and uh, it is fitting we, we like in this business we like it when the storylines sort of write themselves and so uh it did sort of seem fitting that uh, a canuck goaltender would be the guy to throw a shutout on a night that uh, roberto luongo was honored there so uh but this did feel like a turning point. I know uh, your colleague Thomas Drance at The Athletic uh, wrote about uh, stocks up and stocks down with the Canucks. I think it was through 28 games and a little surprising. There was a 10-game run there where like Demko's save percentage was well under 900, which isn't like him, but a shutout, certainly a 36-save shutout. That's going to help the save percentage, and it just it kind of felt like the, the homestand allowed him to find his game again. 
Yeah, he just felt like he was in control the entire night. I mean, his rebound control was on point. He wasn't scrambling around in the crease. It felt like he was anticipating really, uh, really well, tracking the puck efficiently down low. Not a lot of um, unnecessary movement. And that's really Demko at his best. He's clean. He's compact. Uh, he is just a calming, poised presence. And, and that's just what you felt uh, the entire night, just really comfortable. And you just sort of, as an outsider, felt at ease knowing that as long as there wasn't a, a five alarm type of breakdown, that Demko was going to take care of it tonight. Yeah, he took care of it all. Uh, again, busy in that third period. 15 saves in the first, 15 in the third as well. Six in that middle frame. So 36 on the night, 36-18, the final shots on goal in the hockey game. Uh, speaking of uh, being comfortable, uh, Pia Suter certainly didn't look like he had missed the beat. Uh, missed 14 games with what was believed to be a groin injury and uh, has been back at practice for uh, the better part of a week now. Wondered if we would see him before the homestand was through. And of course, we did. And it was a successful return to the lineup. We touched on his penalty kill on the night, uh, his utility there. 15 minutes and one second for Pia Suter. Doesn't have a shot on goal with four attempts. Uh, not a great night in the face-off circle, so maybe uh, chalk that up to some timing. Just one win in in five attempts. But uh, he had been pretty good uh, in the circle before he got hurt, so we'll cut him some slack. Uh, we're not going to worry too much about uh, his face-off prowess on a night where the Canucks win by a score of 4 nothing. But uh, you could tell after the game, Rick Tockett happy to have Pia Suter back at his disposal. He was solid. I thought he was really good, uh, really smart. You can tell the hockey IQ when he's on the ice. Um it really adds to the dressing room when, or on the ice when he's on the ice. And I thought he did – the penalty kill was really good, too. He was part of it. And there you go. Some high praise from the coach. Called him solid. He called him smart. Uh, mentioned the hockey IQ and then a nod to the, the PK there as well. So if this is the jumping on point, uh, if you're a PS suitor, you know, to get back in the lineup when the vibes are good, uh, feel good about your game, able to contribute – uh, looking forward to seeing you know where it goes from here. But for a guy that you know missed a month with a groin, uh, that'll be a challenge now out on the road and back to back early starts. You know, no game day skate, just the warm up and go. So uh, you know, we'll see about uh, how they go about handling him and and using him, and we'll see if uh, he's limited in his ice time in any way on these two games over the weekend. Yeah, and with Suter not being the fastest guy, you'd perhaps wonder if especially coming off of a, a groin injury and all that time missed whether he might look a, a fraction of a step slow but that wasn't the case at all there were a couple of instances where I actually thought oh he looks quick out there looks decisive just didn't look like he had really skipped a, a beat at all I mean if you were just randomly tuning in to watch that game you had no idea about uh, Suter's health status you, you weren't a diehard fan you you would never have thought that oh this is a guy in his first game back from an injury his return in the chemistry too right because it's a bit of an odd combo with uh, with Kuzmenko and Di Giuseppe I don't think anybody really envisioned going into the season that you'd uh, by, by this point have Kuzmenko and Di Giuseppe as Suter's line mates um, that felt pretty seamless as well so uh, I'm glad um, he was able to make it work and that the line as a whole had some energy, had some pop, and through Kuzmenko's goal was able to get on the board as well. All right, let's get to the rink-wide Vancouver three stars of this hockey game. The three stars in the building, selected by the broadcast, Thatcher Demko, Dakota Joshua, and Connor Garland. I'm going to agree with the first two. Not that Garland uh, had a... Uh, uh, yeah, he, he deserves some consideration, but we're going to go off the board a little bit uh, with the rink-wide Vancouver three stars. Hey, it's our show. We can do what we want. So Demko... 
yeah, star number one, no question about it. Dakota Joshua, the two goals. Sure, the second goal was a freebie, but uh, they all count. He's up to six on the season now. He had those six hits as well, and we mentioned his penalty-killing usage. So uh, absolutely a contributor for the Vancouver Canucks. But I'm going off the board here, Harm. Third star, Roberto Luongo. It was his night. Uh, He's in the Ring of Honor now, uh, part of that uh, select group that uh, is enshrined there. I know that uh, the debate will rage on about whether there should have been a, a bigger, better honor for him, but played to the crowd. We touched on that right off the top. Thought it was poignant. Had his family out there. A muted ceremony to some degree in as much as they didn't run out all of the 2011 team. There was nobody from management down on at ice level. You know, there were some people in the moment were like, that's it? Like, you know, there's no gift from the organization or... Uh, they did present him with a painting uh, as the game rolled on. So, yeah, there was a gift there. But uh, yeah, I, I just thought uh, uh, the things that, for, you know, for Roberto to stand there and speak from the heart, uh, unscripted, as you would expect, uh, a spectacular job. So I'm going off the board a little bit. I'm calling Roberto Luongo the third star on this night. You all right with that? I'm fully on board. <laughs> we should tell you that uh, this is bigger than the trade deadline. And Lou talked about the trade deadline when he met the media uh, kind of relived uh, 2014, but uh, you have until midnight, Friday, December 22nd, to get in on the 51 early bird draws in the VGH Millionaire Lottery. These early bird draws are worth more than $200,000 when an Audi e-tron GT or a private jet experience that includes 20 grand in cash or $125,000 plus 50 winners will win 1,000. With your VGH Millionaire Lottery tickets, you get in to win one of 10 grand prize options or you can take $2.7 million in tax-free cash. Don't forget to get your 50-50 plus tickets. Every ticket purchased supports VGH and UBC Hospital Foundation. Order in person at London Drugs or online at millionairelottery.com. 19 plus to play. Know your limit. Play within it. It was Roberto Luongo's night. Uh, if you have been with us here as a regular rink-wide listener, checking out uh, the work at Canucks Army as well, we had a Roberto Luongo autograph stick up for auction. The auction closed at midnight on Wednesday, and I am just so thrilled to sit here and tell you all that the auction raised $1,000 for charity, which absolutely blows my mind. I had no idea. I just know that uh, I had the stick in storage at home, and I thought there has to be a better use for it. Somebody out there, a collector, a Christmas present. I don't know ultimately what the winner is planning to do with it, but uh, uh, we'll have some more details uh, on the shows ahead. But I just uh, I wanted to thank everybody. We had a number of people step up, uh, come in with uh, generous bids, but uh, one stood out above all others. And uh, to raise $1,000 for charity uh, at this time of the year, spirit of the season, uh, again, just uh, an incredible effort. So uh, thank you to our winning bidder on that Roberto Luongo autograph stick. We'll get uh, that to you uh, here in short order. There's still plenty ahead here. Uh, we'll get into the stat that stands out, uh, some listener feedback as well. We'll preview this four-game road trip that lies ahead for the Vancouver Canucks on the night that they defeat the Florida Panthers by a score of 4-0. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. As we continue to break down this Canucks 4-0 victory over the Florida Panthers at Rogers Arena, it's Jeff, and it's harm with you here on Rinkwide Vancouver. Canucks go 1-3 for three on the power play, so they win the special teams battle. Panthers go 0-3. The final shots, again, were 36-18. We touched on it in the opening segment, Harm, but I'm just curious. 
Like, what do you make of the underlying numbers on a night like this, where obviously score effects uh, take hold in that third period? You know, the high dangers in the third were 8 nothing in the Panthers' favor, but after 40 minutes when this game was hanging in the balance, the Canucks actually had more high-danger chances than the Florida Panthers did. They had out uh, just chanced them in general as well. And so, you know, when you look at puck possession, the uh, Panthers with 61.8% uh, team Corsi, I think the Canucks, in a perfect world, would have liked to have had the puck and spent a little more time in the offensive zone in that third and, and maybe made life a little bit easier on Thatcher Demko. But what do you make of the underlying numbers uh, when you know the way that this game unfolded? Yeah, I honestly don't put a whole lot of stock into them because, as you mentioned, the the Panthers really racked up most of those shots and chances when the Canucks were already up for nothing. And inevitably, there is some human nature, there is some psychology that that plays into it when you're up for nothing, going into a third period, and you're at the tail end of a homestand. You've played such consistent, complete hockey against some tough opponents too, not just uh, Florida, but before that, having to shut down Kucherov and uh, and the Lightning, and on Saturday night, a, a huge win against the Carolina Hurricanes. Some some teams there that many look at as uh, contenders. It, it it's tough in an eighty two game season to manage your your sort of energy levels to the point where you're mentally and physically engaged for every single period. So up for nothing, the fact that they took a little foot off the gas, uh, I'm going to cut them some slack there and. Again, I I think through the first two periods, I still give them a ton of credit for how they um, played, especially as I sort of alluded to earlier, the way they defended in the second period at even strength when they were up to nothing to make sure that Florida couldn't swing the momentum back in their favor with a quick goal. That to me stands out and is way more meaningful than them giving up a, a lot and and, and getting wildly outshot and outchanced in the third period when the game was already in their hands. All right, you use the word standout. Uh, we do the stat that stands out uh, on every episode of Rinkwide. And I've got a couple, actually, that jump out to me. Uh, the win was the 12th on home ice this year. The Canucks lead the National Hockey League. There was not a team in the NHL with more home ice victories than the Vancouver Canucks, who are now 12-3-1. This is a team that won 19 times on home ice all of last season. And again, they've got this game against San Jose. And now... They, better than most, know they can't take the Sharks uh, for granted, having lost to them the last time they saw them. But a game against San Jose at Rogers Arena, the final game before Christmas, an opportunity to go into the Christmas break with 13 home ice wins. They've got a four-game road trip between now and then, so they can't worry about the Sharks in that final game before Christmas. And sometimes that one can be a little distracting with uh, visions of sugar plums and other things uh, dancing in their heads. So uh, the Canucks have to keep their eyes on the prize here. But the fact that uh, at the end of this night, they have more home ice wins than anybody else in the NHL. That is certainly a stat that stands out. And as they embark on this road trip, and it's a trip that you're going on as well, the ice time distribution in this hockey game, you know, four games and six nights with travel. Friday's just going to be a travel day, and then you've got these two early starts, and sometimes those have caused complications for the Vancouver Canucks over the years. So we'll see how they fare in Minnesota and then the quick turnaround into Chicago. But we talked about having four lines and rolling them. There were two guys in this hockey game against Florida that crested 20 minutes in ice time. Nikita Zadorov led the Canucks at 21-18. Tyler Myers with a late shift got up over the 20-minute mark at 20-27. But, you know, Quinn Hughes, 19 minutes and 43 seconds. Elias Patterson, 17 minutes and 8 seconds. JT Millerharm played 15 and a half minutes in this hockey game, his second lowest ice time 
of the season. What a luxury for Rick Tocchet and his coaching staff to be able to roll four lines and all three defensive pairs in this game with an eye to, again, a compressed four-game and six-night road trip ahead here. Yeah, and it makes a difference when you're a team that has ambitions of when you get in the playoffs, you really want to be competitive. You want your top players fresh. You want to be able to use them in as many situations as possible. And the playoffs are really when you have to sometimes shorten your bench situationally. So everything you can do in your power to limit players' ice time and make sure that you're not leaning on them too heavily, it, it makes a huge difference. I mean, even in in Dallas, for instance, just watching the stars here and there and a lot of the talk that's coming coming out of there, their blue line is a little bit thin, so they have to run Miro Haskinen into the ground every night. He's playing playing an exorbitant amount of minutes, and you can see it. Haskinen doesn't... He's playing really well. He's an unbelievable number one defenseman, but he's not playing at his typical Norris contender type uh, status because the Stars just ha- keep having to um, use him to carry the blue line almost on his own. So it's such a luxury for... The Canucks to have Hughes under 20 minutes, have Hironik under 20 minutes. And just to pick out one example, Elias Pettersson now four straight games where he's played fewer than 20 minutes. It's important and not just for these skaters, but also moving forward. I think it's fantastic that the Canucks have been able to bank as many early points as they have, especially in conjunction with Casey DeSmith having a shutout against the Wild, because now you can even manage moving forward Demko's workload, because that was one sort of thought that I had was outside of uh, the back-to-back on the next road trip and one that they have in early January, their schedule is pretty spread out right up until the third week of February. So I had wondered while the Canucks were playing so much 500 hockey, I was a little bit sort of worried that you don't want to end up in a situation where the coaching staff feels pressure to, uh, that they need to continue piling up points. Uh, get a snap out of this 500 funk and uh, how much do we have to ride Demko because even with Demko you need him at his best uh, for when round one of the playoffs starts so that's one positive that I mean Demko obviously may not get the uh, get the rest over you know the next week or two but over the next couple months the Canucks building this cushion in the standings I'm hopeful that um, it gives uh, the coaching staff a chance to get to Smith in a little a little more and make sure that he's in the same boat as Hughes, Pedersen, Miller, and uh, the rest of these top guys that are uh, are able to sort of cut their workload a little bit. Yeah, and that's why I think uh, a 3-2 split for the goaltenders here in these five before Christmas. If you can give to Smith the game against the Sharks, then you extend Thatcher Demko's Christmas break. Uh, and if people haven't looked ahead... Uh, they came through that November that was an absolute nightmare schedule just in terms of you know the number of games in a short span of time with a ton of travel. Uh, once they get to Christmas, really the next 10 days there, things lighten up considerably. And so I think guys will be able to catch their breath and, and sort of recharge the batteries. January's busy with a lot of travel and they've got that seven-game road trip. But once they make it through January to the All-Star break and a week off there, as you said, like there are some chunks of uh, the schedule that they can look to now and realize that uh, all the hockey that they've played and have played so successfully, as you said, too, you know, just putting all these points in the bank. uh, Yeah, some other teams will have games in hand and will have an opportunity to play some games. But look at the Edmonton Oilers over the last three weeks. I know they lost to Tampa as the Canucks were beating Florida, but... People kind of think, oh, like McDavid's back, the Oilers are back. They'd rattle off eight straight wins. 
In their last 10 games, Edmonton is 8-2. and two. In their last 10 games, the Canucks are 7-3. and three. Edmonton ran off eight straight wins, and they're still 14 behind the Canucks. Like, it, it's, it's incredible. Uh, now, Edmonton's gained on a bunch of those other teams in the middle of the pack and certainly are knocking on the door of being a playoff team, but uh, the Canucks have pulled away from that mushy middle and, yeah, I mean, alternated wins and losses for 10 games, but they've come out of that with this stretch now of four straight wins and five of six. So certainly holding their own uh, at the top of the Pacific Division in the Western Conference and, in fact, at the top of the NHL standings as well. It really it is incredible. Let's get to a little bit of listener feedback from our social channels at Rinkwide Van. We always like to hear what the people are feeling and kind of gauge the vibe in the city and in the market after uh, Canuck games. And I was going to say after wins because most of them have been wins this season with the, the way that this group is going, their 20th victory in 30 games play. Jamin Rowe says, effort from everybody riding the wave. Canuck fan in Calgary, bottom six, the best it's been since 2011. I don't think that's an exaggeration on a night when 2011 was front and center. Uh, yeah, now that P.S. Suter is back uh, again, uh, bolstering that uh, bottom of the lineup, and you saw it uh, make the difference early in this hockey game. How many teams have the luxury of having um, Connor Garland and Andre Kuzmenko in the bottom six right now? I mean, Florida, outside of uh, Louis Turin and uh, they did not have many scorers at all. And you saw that with Tampa too. Like the championship pedigree is there. There's still a remarkably well-coached team. Vasilevsky apparently was incredible in Edmonton. Stamkos went off and had four goals there. But, and we've seen this. I mean, it's cap world. It's impossible to keep those championship teams together. And where Tampa has lost you know, Alex Kalorn and Yanni Gord and Andre Palat and Corey Perry and uh, Ross Colton, you know, below their top end guys, they're not that same team that they were even a couple of years ago. And so you're right. I mean, this is now uh, where the Canucks, I mean, the Canucks want to believe that their top end of the lineup can give them an edge and their goaltending can give them an edge. And Quinn Hughes on most nights, you know, gives them an edge uh, to whatever the other team can throw at them. But all of a sudden now, this bottom six, the way that they're going, again, an area that the Canucks probably feel that they have an edge on their opponents. Dream says Demko getting complimentary Lou chance almost brought a tear to my eye. That being said, was this another professional win? And I would say absolutely it was. Uh, gave up the early goal against Tampa. They've rattled off eight straight goals since then. So uh, they're getting it done at both ends of the ice. The G-Man says this team doesn't panic. They just roll four lines. I am impressed with a bunch of exclamation marks and uh, Ray says the addition of P.S. Suter to the bottom six nothing against him on but he just doesn't have the offensive chops also Dakota Joshua outside of his two goals continues to be a wrecking ball out there finishing every check and I'm with Ray there that nothing against Nils Amon like you know this is a guy that gives them what he can but he certainly doesn't profile as a guy that's going to bring a lot of offense and now all of a sudden you inject P.S. Suter who's been a a 15-goal scorer, essentially, in all three of his years in the National Hockey League, just has the smarts, and you pair him with a guy like Andre Kuzmenko, if those two stay together and you got PDG in there, you know, playing the wrecking ball role, I'm really curious to sort of see what that line can do, especially if it is getting matchups against the other team's third and fourth lines. Yeah, definitely. And really, this is the type of depth that you... Uh, aspire to have. I mean, when Vegas won the Stanley Cup, for example, they'd acquired Teddy Bluger from the Penguins and Bluger was a healthy scratch for a big chunk of that uh, playoff run just because the Golden Knights were that deep. 
at the center ice position. So with Oman, uh, you know, watching this one from the press box, yeah, he's a competent, passable uh, fourth line player, and I'm sure he's going to get into games, especially because knowing the history of this team, they usually don't stay completely healthy up front. But ideally, this is what you want. I mean, down the middle to have Pedersen, Miller, uh, Suter, and Bluger, that's uh, that's a significant step up from what this group center ice depth has looked like in um, in years past. All right, so the bags are packed. This has been a nice little homestand, a chance for uh, the Canucks to catch their breath and uh, continue to do what they've done so well all season, and that is win hockey games, but into Minnesota, into Chicago, into Nashville, and they wrap things up in Dallas, and I'm already looking forward to that. They beat the Stars 2-0 back here on the 4th of November, and uh, that'll be a good test for them at the end of the trip. It'd be a good test anytime, but again, we'll see uh, as their travels go here. And I mentioned earlier, Arm, you're heading out on this road trip as well. So what are you looking forward to? And, uh, you know, given the way this team has gone and the way it's played all season, what's a realistic expectation given the opponents that they're going to see here on this road trip? Yeah, so it's not going to be easy just schedule-wise with a couple of matinee games, the the, the two uh, back-to-backs. Uh, but you're also in a situation where outside of that Dallas game, you aren't really intimidated by your opponents, especially during that second leg. Of course, they're going to be tired, but the Blackhawks have really been struggling, got trounced by uh, the Kraken tonight. So first look at Connor Bedard, that's going to be exciting. But yeah, I mean, they should pick up at least a couple of wins here. And I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be able to continue uh, rolling, especially because for as much as there's been when they're going to play Minnesota, this, this sort of talk about Kaprizov getting back on track and sure the point totals may resemble that, but quietly at five on five, he still doesn't look quite as dynamic as he typically is. And Dean Evison had admitted to uh, our athletic colleague, uh, My- Michael Russo, that Kaprizov has still been working through an injury that he suffered late last season. So even from that perspective, I know Minnesota's pick generally been winning hockey games since their coaching change, but uh, I don't know. I, I feel pretty confident that the Canucks should be able to keep this going with how professional they've uh, looked lately. Yeah, I, I think they've raised the bar for themselves. Like I, I would think anything short of sort of five of eight points uh, would probably disappoint. Now, if they go 500 and come home with four of eight points, you know, they're probably not going to lose much ground in a, a week long road trip, but I I think that they aspire to more than that. And so if you can get the first one in Minnesota and the Wild beat uh, Calgary 3-2 in a shootout, so they were winners at home and uh, they'll be looking to to add to that. Uh, Canucks shut them out, obviously, so maybe a little bit of revenge there. But if you get the first one, then you go into Chicago and as you said, uh, I mean, you want to believe that the Canucks can knock off a team like the Blackhawks, but uh, maybe Connor Bizarre will uh, be fired up for uh, the first ever game at the NHL level against uh, his hometown team. Uh, certainly some intrigue there uh, then into Nashville and they finish up in Dallas. So we'll see how it goes. You're going to be there uh, documenting for the athletics. So we look forward to your work there. And I know uh, you'll check in at uh, Canuck Convo uh, from the road as well. Hey, it was great getting you back uh, on Rinkwide here. Always fun to get your perspective in the immediate aftermath Uh, of these Canuck games and this one a 4-0 victory over the Florida Panthers on the night. Roberto Luongo was added to the Vancouver Canucks Ring of Honor. That's going to do it for us here for Harm. This is Jeff. As always, thanks so much for listening to another edition of Rinkwide Vancouver brought to you by Betway.